And it's now time for our weekly catch-up with one of the Media Watch team to talk about what's caught their eye in the media this week, and it's the turn of Jeremy Rose. Kia ora, Jeremy. Kia ora, Karen. And you've been doing a bit of, can I reading this right, royal watching? Yeah, well, it, it, it's not quite royal watching. What 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 I noticed is, you know, I go to the New Zealand Herald site every day and stuff every day, and on the, particularly on the New Zealand Herald, I just noticed that there seemed to be every day at least one story about Meghan Markle. And um, so I kind of did a, a search over a month-long period on the Herald, and, and there was more than 50 stories on Meghan Markle, which just seemed extraordinary to me. So I compared it with the number that uh, the Governor-General, Dame Patsy Reddy, had had, um, who, and she she was on five, you know, um, then I just looked over a 48-hour period, the, the most recent one just gone, and there, there were three stories about Meg, Meghan Markle. There was Meghan Markle redesigns her engagement ring. Royal Blunder reveals cruel treatment of Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle, an American trailer trash puppet in racist BBC TV show. It's just endless. You know, there's, there's stuff constantly. And by comparison, and maybe, I, I'm not sure, I, I use... Uh, Dame Patsy, because she is the Queen's representative in New Zealand, and if if royalty has some importance here, it's through her. But, you know, five of the stories, two of the stories, two of the mentions over that month of her were just photo captions, so they were stories about other people who happened to have photos with the Governor-General. One was about the gifts that she had given to baby Neve, which was an alphabet set and a jumpsuit, in case you missed that. Um, I did miss that, yeah. And one about uh, the fact that she was going to be attending the launch of Anne Frank's diary in Tereo. So, you know, all definitely should be there, but it was just kind of really struck me, you know, why are we spending, why are we just so interested in Meghan Markle. And as it happens... We're not all interested in (laughs) Meghan Markle. No, I'd have to say I read out the headlines. I didn't read the story, so I'm with you on that one. But That's what, what do they call that? Clickbait. Yeah, I think it is clickbait. And actually, Murray Kirkness, the editor of The Herald, was um, interviewed in The Detail, which is a podcast, daily podcast we've talked about before, appears on the Radio News Insight, put together by Newsroom. And here's... He was talking about the paywall. It was that's what it was focused on. And here, what he here's what he had to say: A lot of the material that people will pay for is not necessarily the material that will reach the masses. Of course, we've got all sorts of data available to us, as does every modern newsroom now. Um, we're quite careful, and it's again, it's a cliche, but we're quite careful to be data informed and not data driven. Uh, otherwise, you end up down the rabbit hole of essentially social media. You, you only tell people what they want to know. What. And we had someone like um, Jill Abramson, who was here last week, former editor of the New York Times, expressing reservations about the amount of coverage the New York Times and the Washington Post, for instance, dedicate to um, Donald Trump. And they do. And they do. It, 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 you know, I mean, they talk about the, the Trump bump, and, and we had a, a similar phenomenon, I suppose, with the Meghan bump but the, you know, uh, when she was pregnant, but it just hasn't stopped. Um, and... I think you're right. It has to be the fact that it is driving traffic. Um, but again, I wonder, you know, 
are there people like us who just end up being put off because we're getting so, so much of it? Um, well, certainly when, when you go to that site and you see every story is a royal story and it's Meghan Markle, I just, I go somewhere else. Yeah, but that, I mean, it's really not true. I mean, you know, there is actually a lot of content, but some of that stuff does, is still front and centre. And yeah, and I wonder whether it's a, a, a smart business move. Someone that actually pondered this very question was Sam Brooks on the spin-off. And he wrote late last year, I think when they were visiting, he wrote a piece called The Obsession with Meghan Markle Explained. And uh, in a nutshell, what he was saying was that it's the fairy tale narrative of a commoner marrying a prince that has transfixed the media, if not all of us. And his conclusion was that there's far, far more important things that we should be talking about. <laughs> Really? (laughs) Gosh. We talked earlier, um, well, Brian and I had a very quick chat um, before 10 o'clock about the spin-off and their membership program, and we were just trying to work out what what you got for your $80. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I think what you're going to get is what Sam was talking about there, and it is stuff that's far, far more important. I think that's the idea. So... The spin-off has run not on the advertising model, which has been the dominant model in New Zealand and in all media, but on a one which they've kind of helped pioneer, I think, which is a sponsorship model. And so they get people like Kiwi Bank and others who pay them, and then they that allows them to write about things. Um, this is a development, I suppose. They're turning five. It's a development of things they've already done. They did their investigative fund. They did the Battle for Auckland, I think it was called. So... They have raised funds from their supporters before, but this is, I suppose, giving it more of a framework. The The idea of membership owned, it won't be completely foreign to people. The Guardian, which a lot of New Zealanders read, has been pushing its membership very, very hard. And it, it also, like the spin-off, is committed to everything being free to people that visit the site. So in a sense, you can say you don't get anything other than quality journalism and knowing you're contributing to it. Um, the other site in New Zealand or, or magazine which has always been membership owned is Consumer. And Consumer's journalism is basically all paid for through through its membership. The members get to vote for the board and actually have some control. Now, the spin-off is a private company, quite different from that. But they are saying that they want members to contribute ideas and to be involved in setting policy. Um, Duncan Grieve, actually, the managing editor, spoke to Jesse Mulligan, um, I think, yesterday, and he um, said that it's a, a model which is growing around the world and particularly among newer startups. Um, this is one of the things he had to say. It's really hard out here in, in the media, and there were things that had been on our to-do list that we thought we might be able to find a commercial model for we had been sort of probing for years and at a certain point you have to realise that model is never going to come for you. So members really allows us to have a lot more agency over our coverage. Yeah, so, you know, when he mentions agency, I think one of the things he actually talks about is the desire to have a climate change science type reporter. And I suppose it would take 100 or two people, giving them $8 a week, to 
um, $8 a month to, to make that happen. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting idea. They're far from alone in asking people for money. The When you go and donate money, it, you do it through the press patron site. And when I had a quick look on there, and there was a whole lot of New Zealand. It's a New Zealand initiative, but it's international. But newsrooms on there, Itangata, Scoop, Farmers Weekly, Newsy, Crux, the Queenstown uh, startup community reporting, they're all asking for money. So I think this is going to become a real part of the uh, the media landscape. People are going to ask us for money more often. This is Midweek Media Watch with Jeremy Rose. And Jeremy, the euthanasia bill, you would have heard, is becoming closer to being law. It passed its second reading in the House tonight. But you want to talk a bit about death and dying, but it's nothing to do with that, is it? It's not. I would, you know, another time we could talk about that. But the... Um, it was actually there was Joe Bennett. He's a stuff reporter, uh, columnist, a very writerly columnist, and he he wrote a piece just that caught caught my eye the other day. He often riffs off something that's been in the news or something that's happened to him, and there was a particular news item which had caught his attention. Let's have a listen to it. So about six weeks ago, we actually did unfortunately lose two giraffes uh, to lightning strikes here. We had a storm that developed right on top of us. Um, and unfortunately, some lightning struck, uh, and we did unfortunately lose two giraffe. <laughs> where, were, where were they? They were in Florida, I oh, think Florida. it was. Okay. Yeah, and, and I hadn't heard that thing, but he started his column off like this. Misfortune is the quickest way to make the news. This week, two giraffes in a Florida safari park gained international fame by being struck and killed by lightning. I suppose being struck by lightning is an occupational hazard for giraffes, just as it is for steeples, but it's still unfortunate enough to be newsworthy, and it also has to be said comic comedy is cruel. And he then recants the story from a Graham Greene short story about a, a man who's killed by a falling pig. It's it's a well-written, very funny little article that he's done. Um, it, this is the Joe Bennett who wrote Where Underpants Come From. That's right, yeah. They, we followed them and, and, and went to, to find the origin of the underpants. Of the underpants he'd got in the supermarket in New Zealand. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that was he, a he's great done, book. He's done quite a lot of things like that. He's, yeah, so it's a, it was a, a funny and informative column. But I came across, before I'd read that, I'd, I'd actually come across a, a blog on Our World and Data, which for the nerdy types wanting data, which kind of actually sums up what happens as far as death and dying in the news goes. It, it, it had more depth, I suppose. And what the, the blog compares the number of people that die in the US with the number of Google searches and the number of stories about the ways people die. And so what they found was that a third of people die of heart attacks, but just 2% of Google searches and stories relate to heart attacks. 37% of people die of um, cancer, a similar number Google it and about 14% of stories are about cancer and it won't come as any surprise to you that only about 3% of people die violent deaths but about two-thirds of the stories about death relate to violent ones. Um, Is that right? Yeah. So Is that a, just our voyeurism or our macabre sense of... There is a fascination. When I first started on Media Watch, I actually compared the amount of stories to do with violent death and violence in general in New Zealand media front pages versus overseas ones. And we were actually way out on top, so so we seemed even more obsessed. That's possible we still are um, than the US. But the, the blog's author, Hannah Ritchie, concludes 
you know, says, look, there's good reasons for why this happens and, and some, you know, including the fact that maybe understanding them will stop them happening. But she said the main problem is that it gives a false impression. So even though violent deaths have been going down, what we've seen is an increase in the number of reports of them and people simply you know if you ask people they say violence is getting worse and they're convinced that it's worse than it's ever been when in fact it's not Mm, so when you're googling that are you googling a specific violent death or you're just googling violent death well that is that is strange isn't it i mean that that's right that seems a bit of a design flaw i mean i can't imagine why you would Google violent death, there's no need to. I mean, <laughs> Not that, that, unless you're planning on committing one. They're everywhere, you can't get away from them. I think you, you know, maybe have a block on your system. Mm. Mind you, you wouldn't Google violent death if you were planning on committing one, would you? Well, I, I hope not. There, there probably are people silly enough to Google how they might do it or something. I don't know. No, yes, there, there are people who do do that. But then, as you say, this is all out of whack you yeah, know, in, that, the, in the amount of violent deaths that occur. That's right. There was another story that caught my eye, which in the overseas press, I'm amazed. But well, I'm not amazed. It seems to me that we've given over the we give more and more coverage to both the first and second world wars. There's an incredible fascination, which I'd have to say, I probably don't share quite the fascination that there is. And there's just endless stories about anything which involves New Zealand and those wars. But there was a a story in The Guardian, in Deutsche Welle, in The Times of Israel, which I was surprised wasn't picked up in New Zealand. And it's one about a recent court case in Uruguay about the... It, there was a German ship sunk... Well, that was involved in a very famous battle called the uh, Battle of the River Plate, Um First, the first naval battle of the Second World War and this very high-tech German ship was put out of action by, as it happens, two British and a New Zealand ship. So it's got this New Zealand connection and it's in the news because they raised it recently and managed to, uh, well, in 2006, and there's been an ongoing dispute about this huge bronze eagle with a swastika on it and whether it should go back to Germany or not. And the um, court case came out this week saying that the Uruguayan government should sell it. Um, And they're trying to decide whether to um, challenge that or not. So I'm just very surprised that it's appeared internationally. It's got this strong New Zealand connection. And to the older generation, they've all heard of uh, the Graf Graf Spee was the name of the ship and the New Zealand ship was the Achilles, um, and it just hasn't been picked up anywhere. So that, I, I found that kind of curious. I've just been watching on Netflix, I think it's called Charity at War. It's a German drama about that famous hospital in Berlin um, during World War Two, And it's in, it's in German, but it has subtitles. It's a really good series. Yeah, no, I watched that as well. I thought it was, um, I, you know, I don't know whether I've mentioned it before, but that's my family's history. My mum was a refugee from Austria, and um, I tend to shy away from stuff around that period. It's, um, I kind of feel I know too much about it already, in a sense, um, and the whole dramatising of it 
makes me nervous, but I thought it was it's a superb series. I really think it is. It's 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 um, the characters are complex. It's uh, deals with a, a particularly nasty time. I mean, basically, there's no Jewish characters in it because they've all been. Um, there's eth- one, isn't there? The father of the, of the boy. Yeah. Yes, and the way that they mixed the real life footage that they had of Berlin with the drama, so it was very well done. Well, yeah, that, it's funny you mention it because there's a story I wanted to mention today that was in The Age. It's written by a guy called Arnold Zabel. He's, he was born in Wellington. I don't, he's not very well known here. He's quite a well-known Australian author who lives in Melbourne. His parents were Polish Jewish refugees. And um, he's been a, a campaigner all his life, I think, really, for, for immigrants and for refugees. And he wrote a great piece in, um, in The Age Today about the asylum seekers. It was titled, Time Has Come for an Amnesty for Those Suffering on Manas and Nauru. Um, and it was a really uh, strong and passionate piece. I, um, he talked to the Kurdish writer Baruz Bichani, who's locked up over there, who's pointed out that there's been 50 attempted deaths since attempted suicide since the election because their hopes just were raised so high um, because the assumption was Labour was going to win and things were improved and nothing has. So it's a, a real story of absolute desperation. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Great stories this week. Appreciate it.